welcome to the podcast. Have you lost your mind? And I am your host, one of your hosts, Chris Sacchini. And I'm Ralph Bailey, and today we have a number of topics. We're going to talk about, obviously, Omicron and the COVID situation. We'll talk about Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, and an issue that touches my heart as an African-American, the lack of black coaches in the NFL. But we begin with COVID, Chris. Yeah, well, see, the the good thing about about the podcast is that we're not tied to one topic. A lot, a lot of podcasts cover one topic, whether it's crime, sports. We, we have seven days to kind of stew and pick the hottest topics of the week or of the last five days. And as Ralph previewed, uh, the hottest topic right now, at least in sports, is, and I heard it driving here on ESPN, yep. um, what's his name, uh, the ESPN... Jim, um, was doing a big yeah I forget his name um he he did a big uh stud or whatever I mean the episode on you know NFL black coaches so that's going to be our main topic today but as Ralph said we are going to cover a couple other topics vaccine and Kevin McCarthy but our main topic of the day is going to be black coaches in the NFL because um it is the, the the one thing that uh a lot of people are talking about uh this this Tuesday following uh a Absolutely. lot of fo- a lot of football over the weekend so uh, well, yeah, with that being said, uh, COVID mandates are, are are making the news. The Supreme Court, a conservative Supreme Court appointed finally. primarily by Donald Trump, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney, Coney Barrett, etc., decided that you cannot, the federal government cannot tell Chris Zucchini Incorporated that if you have more than 100 employees, they must be vaccinated. And I have I have flipped on this. I've absolutely flipped on this. I felt earlier that vaccine mandates were necessary. But now that Omicron has taken over, and according to the CDC, it's damn near 100% of the cases, 98.5% of the cases. And now that Dr. Fauci is saying, essentially, quote, everybody's going to get it, then what is the need for a vaccination or, or, or a mandate for a vaccination? I don't give a damn if you want to roll the dice with your health and die. Because if you're unvaccinated, you are more likely to end up in a hospital. But now that even if you are vaccinated and even if you are boosted, you are going to get this thing, then vaccine mandates are obsolete. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, if you uh, listened to about five p- podcasts ago when we a vaccine was a hot topic, that was my main issue is why are we federally mandating employees to get vaccinated when... We don't even know for sure if they are going to prevent you from getting sick. And, and the bottom line, when you look back at the vaccine, so you, if you look back, you know, two years ago, when, when these, what, what was it, a year and a half ago, 18 months ago, when the vaccines first came out? Almost two years. Yeah. Okay, almost two years. We know th- what they've done, okay? They've, they've protected the people that are elderly, the people that have a lot of underlying conditions, the not healthy elderly people, basically, from dying. And, and probably in, in decreased your chance of hospitalization. So if you're over the age of 50, you're overweight, you have diabetes, you have cardiovascular disease, um, and a boatload of other medical conditions, you're not a very healthy person, yeah, the vaccine would benefit you. We know that now, right? We know that. But we also know if you're healthy, you're 55 or younger, then the vaccine is not going to do anything for you because you're going to get it anyway. And, and if you don't have underlying conditions and you're healthy and you get it, you're going to be fine. So that was, that's been my thing this whole time is 
do we, why mandate it? It should be personal choice based on your health. Well, because that wasn't always the case, though, Chris. That wasn't always the case. When Delta was the deal, there weren't as many breakthrough cases. We were looking at 95, 96% of the cases were unvaccinated. Now you look at the numbers and the number of people unvaccinated is down to in the 80s. So there are more, that's why I'm saying I flipped on this thing because now with Omicron, there are more breakthrough cases. You're going to get this whether you're boosted or not. But there was a period when we talked about this weeks ago when we were dealing with strictly the Delta that you could stave this off with the vaccination. That's no longer the case. Yeah, I disagree So with I've that. changed my 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 deal. Well, I, how, do, I, how do you argue with the numbers Because back the then? vaccines are wearing off. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with the Omicron is more breakthrough than Delta. I got sick when I had the vaccine from the Delta. It, it's the vaccines that wear off. After four, six, seven, eight months, they wear off. That's the bottom line. That's why people are getting sick. And that's why you get boosted. If you are elderly and you have and you're not very healthy and you're overweight, you should get boosted. Should I? I'm not getting boosted. No, I'm, I just I don't I don't think it's going to help. I've gotten COVID and I got the, and I'm fully vaccinated. So to me, uh, I don't I don't think there's justification for it. So I just feel like there's no need. So I think we're back to the same thing that we originally were talking about, which is the they the vaccines wear off. Where does it end? If 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 they did allow the mandates to take place, we would be in trouble because we'd be getting shots every quarter. Well, we're good. I think that's where we're headed. We're going to have to continue to get boosters as this thing continues to or some of us may not variants. But the issue, the real issue is I don't give a damn about your personal health, although I do because you're a dear friend. But in general, I don't care about people's health. If they want to roll the dice, that's one thing. But it's about your community, Chris. It's about health care. If you're a nurse, you want people to get vaccinated because we're having nursing shortages. We're having physician shortages. We're having medical staff shortages. And this could have a lasting impact on the medical field. If you're a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid, do you think you want to get into the medical field right now? Well, you're no, a, yeah, you're that, a college student and you're right. you're thinking about studying biology or nursing. Are you really going to get into this right now? Probably not because the hospitals are filled. They're going nuts. People are having nervous breakdowns, PTSD from dealing with this, being with loved ones that they don't even know because the family can't be with them. This is a heartbreak on our on our medical uh, yeah, field. Yeah, and I think that is one. You know that that is the one off. I mean, I, obviously, yes. If you're in healthcare, you probably should be vaccinated. So, I mean, yeah, I do agree with that. But and the Supreme Court agreed with that as well. Right, and I do, and I do support that. Uh, but your average Joe, like me, like you, um, you know, I just I can't help but look back back as well when we when we went to lockdown. Okay, we have more positive cases being diagnosed today in the last few weeks than at any point at any point during the peak of covid yet restaurants are full our football stadiums are full they're sold out concerts are sold out nba games are sold out we so we are living again with covid and that is just such proof that we did not need to lock down like we did Yes, we did, because we did not have a vaccination at that point when we were locked down. We now have a vaccination where if you get sick, which you probably will, you'll be at home. That's why these numbers aren't accurate, because now so many people are home testing 
There's no way you can clock this thing. There's no way you can monitor this thing. I have this at where I work. We have six or seven people who have tested positive at home. They're not clocked by our county. So the numbers are disproportionate. Yeah, we n- we'll never have accurate numbers. No. no question about that. But I, you know, I think that people, if they get sick, they stay home. Obviously, that you're not going to spread it. But I just don't feel like doing anything that's counterproductive to living your normal life, like going to an NFL or an NBA basketball game or going to a concert or even going out to a restaurant should be impacted ever again. And, and, no, and, I, think I, we, and I think we learned a valuable lesson from that. But you're right. Maybe it had to be done until the vaccine the came out. Stage. But it's the second the vaccine came out, all that should have been lifted because all that did was putting us in the basement was look where we are now. I mean, it just, it's, we're, we're in a disaster from an employment standpoint and all the other inflation, everything else. It all stems from supply that supply shortage, everything. It all stems from, chain. from being locked in the basement for that, you know, going on lockdown. So I just, you know, it's, we learned a lesson. Hopefully it'll never happen again. People need to make the choice for their own personal benefit. Take your own precautions, know your body, know your health. And if you're sick, stay at home. That's what I'm trying to do. I've got comorbidities. I've got damaged lungs from valley fever. Yeah, you had valley fever. So, that, I mean, that's a huge underlying condition for for COVID. I mean, not so much for the Omicron, but it was for the Delta. Right. But, I mean, when I got sick with Delta, I never had anything. Lung- I never had a cough. I didn't even get a cough. I was, I guess, one of the few that never. What were your symptoms? Just tired. That was it. I was just tired. No energy. Yeah. That was the only symptom I really had. I didn't have the night sweats. Didn't really have a fever. I just had no energy. Well, how do you know that was Delta? How do you know that wasn't Omicron? Uh, because it was before Omicron came out. Okay. Yeah, before right. Omicron came out. But yeah, I mean, it's so... I'm glad the, the the Supreme Court voted the way they did. I think it was the right decision. Obviously, you agree now as I well do. on that. So I do. Because it does not preclude businesses like mine, the one I work at American General Media, to continue to mandate vaccinations we mandate vaccinations and if you are not vaccinated you have to get tested on a weekly basis and that is and that is because you're under a certain amount of employees under 100 employees they no, can't it mandate doesn't matter more no yeah it doesn't matter the the supreme court's decision doesn't prevent you as a business to mandate all it says is federal government ralph bailey federal government can't tell chris zucchini that he must vaccinate mandate you see what i'm saying yeah but a- you can if you want to i just can't tell you you have to that's the difference and i agree with that absolutely agree with so that. if a company tells you you have to be vaccinated or you're going to be tested every every day every monday every well monday. that's the way we do it we do it right. on a weekly and, basis and so they're but allowed city core city core is giving their people till the end of january or they go on unpaid leave for two weeks. If they don't get vaccinated then, they're fired. There are a lot of companies that have done that. United, a lot of the airlines have done so that. Are they still allowed to fire him? Yes. Yes. The federal government, all the Supreme Court said is you, the government can't tell these companies to mandate the vaccination. Right. But if you choose to put the mandate in... That's your business. Right, okay. And so the thing is, is that at what point, I'm fully vaccinated, so at what, at what point does my company come back to me and say... You need to get boosted. Right, because I, and I have COVID. So, I mean, I've read several articles that say if you've had COVID, that is equal to or better, actually better than getting the vaccine. I believe and if that. you've had both, 
you You're are doubly you, you will probably never get COVID within the next two to three years. So yeah, I mean, at what point does my company say, yeah, I have to get boosted knowing that I have been fully vaccinated and I have, have, I have had COVID. It just doesn't, to me, that part doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I don't know where that, where that's going to end. Well, have you heard the most recent story? Because I am absolutely impervious to COVID. I will never get COVID. I'm not taking another booster. You haven't heard the most recent story? I, uh, fill me in. Cannabis sativa can prevent COVID. Well, that's why you haven't got I it. I am impervious. <laughs> I will not be touched. In fact, I think I'm going to go home and get medicated tonight, as a matter of fact. Wow. So it, it, it prevents? That's what they're claiming. Wow. That's what they're claiming. Gets in the cells and somehow prevents it. It's a... It's a uh, greatest story to come down the pike. Yeah, I'm me. not sure I'm buying that. I'm yes. not sure I do either, but I like it. Meantime, speaking of my radio show, the Ralph Bailey Show on News Talk 96.1 and AM 1180 KERN, made a little national news. Did I inter- saw that on yeah. CNN, right? Yeah, yeah. Did an interview with Kevin McCarthy, who is from Bakersfield, where we are uh, based. And uh, I've known Kevin since he was an aide to Bill Thomas in the back in the 90s before he ever ran for Congress. He was a dear friend and a good man. Well, you said, you said was a dear friend. Was well, we've, we've got some issues. I've, I've had some issues with him since January 6th. And I think that's what this thing is all about, and that's what CNN discovered. Because my thesis is there's essentially become two Kevins. There was the Kevin that went on the House floor and said that the president had responsibility for what happened on January 6th. There's the Kevin that came on my show and said that the president told him personally that the president bore some responsibility. And somehow CNN got a hold of that audio and it's gone viral. And they're using that as evidence of the two Kevins, where he stood initially and where he stands now post his trip down to Mar-a-Lago, and I just believe, and, you know, I've thought about this hard because, again, Kevin has been integral to my career. When I first started doing radio by myself 17 years ago, he and my mother were the first guests I ever had. He put me on the map. Nine years ago when I started working at my current radio station, he and my mother were my first guests. He's been a dear friend, but... I think this was one of the most egregious events happened in American history. So, so you're taking a stance that because he supported Trump and Trump admitted to having something to do with January 6th. So, you, so that's why you're upset with McCarthy. Let's I'm, put it on the table why, why, you, why you're upset. Because with I believe he sold his soul. I believe he believes in his heart that Donald Trump is a horrible human being. I think he believes in his heart that that election was not stolen. I be- think he believes in his heart that he has to do this to keep the 30, 35% of the Republican Party who absolutely would jump off a cliff if Donald Trump told him to. He's got to keep them happy. And I think he has altered his message and his beliefs to cater to them for one single reason, and that is to get the speakership. He had it in his grasp at one point and lost it with the Hillary comment. And now he's that close again, and I think he said to himself, and again, I might do the same thing. If I were that close to being third in secession to the United States presidency to become, I mean, that's history. That's If he gets that that gavel, 
That's in the first paragraph of his obit. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has died. That's a huge accomplishment. So maybe if I'm in the same position, I do the same thing. I pray not that I would change my beliefs simply well, for he, power. I don't know if he changed his beliefs. I, I mean, think he I th- did. I think he supported somebody. It's just like how I feel. I feel Trump is a narcissistic ass, but I think he did a good job when he was president. I, think I believe he, that I think as he well. did a lot of good things. And I feel like Kevin probably feels he's an ass and he's narcissistic as well, but he's going to support his guy because he is a Republican and so is the president. So I think that his job is to say, you know what, I'm going to bring everybody together. Kevin has always been that way. He's not a guy that's going to that's gonna come at you. He's not a hostile. He's, he's, a, he's everybody be happy, bring everybody together. And I think when he said Trump bared some responsibility in the riots, I do believe that he was genuine when he said that. And at the same time, I don't think just because if I if I sent 20 kids to a school and said, hey, I want you guys to protest, and they ended up smashing all the windows in the school and breaking in the classrooms, I, that wasn't what I, I told them to go peacefully protest. There's a difference. So I don't think Trump can be legally bound to criminality when what he did was he told people to go peacefully peacefully protest. Now, there's he bears some responsibility for saying the word go to the Capitol and protest, but he doesn't bear the responsibility, especially because Kevin, in your interview, as I listened to it, did say that a lot of this was pre-planned prior to Trump even giving his speech, that they had, the Republican, these, these lunatic Republicans had already planned on storming the Capitol prior to Trump even saying anything. Uh, you don't think that he egged them on? by lying to them and claiming that Mike Pence could change the election when, in fact, that just simply wasn't true, that any 16-year-old taking AP government could tell you that the vice president of the United States cannot flip the election on certification day, but Trump lied to those people. And what did they go down there chanting, Chris? They went down there chanting, hang Mike Pence. And what did Donald Trump do? Did Donald Trump call his vice president as they ushered him out of, out of the hall? Did he check on him and his wife and his kids? No, he did nothing for three hours. We now know that Sean Hannity, that phony on the radio, Laura Ingram, that absolutely $3 bill, were, who, who somehow have a connection to the White House chief of staff, which I don't understand, but we now know that not only were they calling him the day that it was going on, but Hannity contacted the chief of staff the day before and said, I'm concerned about the next 48 hours. They knew who that crowd was, Chris. Those, that crowd was KKK in the 21st century. What they've done is they've taken off the hoods, they've taken off the sheets, and they put cute little names on them because they know they can't go by Ku Klux Klan, so now they go by Proud Boys or the Misfits or whatever damn group it is. Trump knew who he was talking to, and he knew he was going to gin these guys up just like the Democrats trying to gin black people up. It's the same thing. Democrats are now trying to gin up the black community to get them all angry and claim that voting rights are at stake. Voting rights? That we're oppressing black voters? Why? Because you have to have an identification? Really? How do you get through life without identification? So I'm not I'm I'm an equal opportunity bagger. I'm bagging on the Democrats for ginning up black folks, and I'm I'm bagging on Republicans for ginning up these wacko psychos. And I think he bears responsibility. And the fact that Kevin is claiming that the president told him 
he bore some responsibility, makes it important that Kevin go before that committee and tell him about that conversation where Trump said, they care more about this than you do, Kevin. And the old Kevin, the Kevin that I love and respect, turned around and told him, do you know who the F you're talking to? That's the Kevin I love. Well, let's be honest. You know Trump was sitting back there gloating, watching all this unfold on TV. Let's be real. He was. But I just don't think he bears enough responsibility to hold him, impeach him, or charge him criminally for inciting a riot. I just don't think it's there. I just don't think it's there. I mean, I, I yeah, I probably know who he was talking to. But the fact is, is that people have their own decisions to make. They have their, they bear their own responsibility. And, and to throw a chair through a window or, you know, some of the stuff that they were doing, I, I, I just can't believe in my mind that Trump actually thought that it was going to go that far. I just don't believe he did. And I don't think Kevin thought it was going to go that far. Kevin called for censure. He did. Called for censure on the president. I had forgotten about that. I had not listened to that interview yeah. in about a year. Yeah. He yeah, called for he censure. Did. Yeah. So he thinks he bears some responsibility. And he does. I mean, he does to the extent of, you know, trying to get people to go there and protest to begin with. But as far as, you know, it's just, I, I just feel like it is a, it is tough to prove, you know, the, from a, in a court perspective, I guess. Now, I mean, even though he's never going to be tried for it, deep, deep, deep down in my mind, do I think he bears respons- responsibility? I agree with Kevin. I do think he does bear some responsibility. But I don't think it's to the point of, you know, where like, you're upset with Kevin for... Selling his soul. For feeling like he had to... But I feel like he had to... He, he even came out, though, and said he bears responsibility. I think that was big of Kevin to do that. Kevin could have said, what are you talking about? He, president doesn't bear any responsibility. He didn't tell those people to go up there and do this and that. I mean, And that's pretty much his position now, though. He's run away from that. Originally, he was Kevin. He stood on the floor and said he bore responsibility. Then he came on my show and said he bore some responsibility. Now he's moving away from that. Well, the closer that's, we get well that's what it comes election, down to. Let's see, where, let's see where that takes us. Yeah, the that's, closer we get to the midterms. Is he going to continue to backpedal or exactly. is he going to man up and say, yeah, you know what? We we I mean Trump too. We we bear some responsibility for that. I, I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he plays that. Now, I agree to you if if he does completely backpedal. I mean, I don't know how he can. It's on tape. He knows it's on tape. I'm sure he read the article. He knows what he said. He listened to what he said. I don't know how you're going to backpedal too far. I don't either. I don't either. But you see that he's chumming up with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Gosser who said it looked like a normal tourist day and he is oh. chumming up to the wackadoo. <laughs> it's a tourist day with, with, uh, with, with buffalo heads yeah, and my, you know Confederate flags waving in our capital. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's no question. If you look at you know they were those dudes, people were quacks. I mean, QAnon crazy. Yeah, there was there was some there were some crazies there. There's no question about that. Yeah. Final final, black coaches in the National Football League. Yeah, hot. You know. We uh, lost Jeremy Shap was the one I was thinking of Jeremy earlier. So yep. he was doing the, the Dick Shap's son. Yep. He was doing a, a thing on ESPN uh on um XM radio, Sirius XM. So uh it, it is it is a, a extremely hot topic right now. And rap, Ralph happens to be black. I happen to be white. So this is a good discussion that we'll have on where we're at with Black coaches of the NFL. Actually, we know where we're at. There's one remaining, but why? Who bears the responsibility for not having more black coaches in the NFL? Is it 
the fact that they they are hired in unsuccessful opportunities or they're fail, failed to be successful because that's part of, of the teams that they're with or is it is it is, does it bear more responsibility but the only way to really answer that question is what I want to do is I want to look back at all the black coaches in the NFL since 2000 and I want to talk a little bit about each one as far as what their records were what it looked like when they came into the league and were they set up to fail um, and so We'll just kind of go down in order. So we know if you take the two successful black coaches that we've had, there's been more than two. There's probably been, I guess, three because you have to add in Mike Tomlin. You have to you have to count Tony Dungy, Herm Edwards. I don't know. Jim Jim Caldwell is fairly successful. Yeah. So let's start. So Herm Edwards, uh, the the year he before he came into the league, the team was nine and seven. So his first season, he went ten and six. And then after that, he went 41 and 44. He reached the postseason three of his five seasons. and then Three was, of his five and, seasons and was got fired, him to the playoffs. And was fired. From the Jets. Yes, and he was 41 and have 44. They been, have they been to the playoffs since? Negative. They, they have, have not been to the playoffs not. since Herm Edwards went back to college football and broadcasting. Right. In fact, I used to work with him. He was part of Buckley Radio back Well, now then. he's at ASU. Yeah, doing but, well. But, you know, I mean, so, yeah, so it's it's a tough one because if you look at – he was there five years, so he had ample time. He His overall record was under 500. So, he obviously, when they made the playoffs, 10-6 and six his first season, that's that's playoff bound. And then after that, it, it depends where you're at. So there's 16 games now, so 8-8, eight and eight or, you, you know, you could get in. He did reach the postseason, never won a game, and his overall record was under 500. They gave him five years. It was probably time to move on, in my opinion. So I get that. I, I get that fire. Well, I, it's it's I, I get firing. I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not. I'm not as concerned about black coaches getting fired as a problem because you can point to a number of coaches who get fired, and you got to shake your head. I think Matt Matt Nagy. Got a bad break in Chicago. He was 12 and 4, 8 and 8, 8 and 8, and then he had a horrible season. I think he deserved another year. There are a lot of white coaches. My issue is the hiring of black coaches. And I don't think that's ever going to happen until we get black management. One of the things we do know is that the Rooney Rule, which forces owners to at least interview a black coach, has improved the number of black coaches in the NFL. So it's it's just human nature. Birds of a feather flock together. You know what I'm saying? They they know each other. It's it's like it's like the fire department. If your uncle's a fireman, you have a better chance of getting in. And that's what, in my opinion, I don't want to you know delve off into a whole other topic. But that's what got began affirmative action that black folks couldn't get in because they didn't know anybody. They didn't know how to get into these into these jobs. And these, they're, you know, what, one general manager that is African-American, and we fired him in Oakland. And until there are black general managers, until there are black owners, that's the only time you're going to see black hiring, in my opinion. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if, if you're so you're saying only black people are going to hire black people. I mean, it doesn't. That, that, black people are more likely to hire black people than white Owners and general managers. Well, yeah, I don't know. So let's. Yes, so, I totally believe. So let's that. look at the twenty coaches since two thousand. There's been twenty black head coaches since two thousand. There have been two. That's shameful. 
Okay. With 70% of the league African-American, in 22 years, there have been 20 coaches. 20 coaches. So that's less than one. That's shameless. And right, well, and there's currently Shameful, one right now. But out of those 20 coaches, two have been successful. Mike Tomlin and Tony Dungy. Now you can say, as you, as you go through the list, Brian Flores, maybe. He wasn't three. successful down in Miami. No, I, that, I mean, you don't consider that was a successful. That's an argument because he took over for, for Adam Gase. Um, he went in three seasons. He didn't make the playoffs, but he did win seven of his last eight games. Yeah, I think I think Brian Flores could be considered in that category. I don't think he's in with Mike Tomlin and Tony Dungy, but I think he's he's up there. But I just think it, the stat doesn't look good. So if I'm a GM, and of course I'm never going to hire based on race. I'm going to hire the most qualified candidate, but. You have 20 coaches that have been hired in the last 22 years in the NFL. Two that have been, two out of the 20 that have been successful. So it just, it feels like it's it's already stacked up against them before they even get hired. Exactly. And, and I don't, but I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I, I don't know why only two African-American coaches in the NFL have been successful out of the 20. I don't know why. Why, they, why did 18 fail? I don't know. And I don't have the answer to it. So, well, it's because if if it's an open job, that means the team is probably in disarray or coming off uh, very poor seasons, and most likely because it's the key to winning in the NFL, don't have a quarterback. And if you don't have a quarterback, you cannot win. And I think that's why Brian Flores has done such a great job down in Miami. Because are you kidding me, Fitzgerald and Tua? The two quarterbacks that he had to deal with, the old man from Harvard and this young kid from Alabama that I just don't think is going to be a good pro. And beyond that, Brian Flores still won. He did. And and I, there's no question that Brian Flores is going to get another opportunity. There's just, there's, See, I'm just not so certain about oh, that. I think, it'll, I think, I think it'll be another opportunity this year. I, I, I think he will. But And one of the coaches I left off that list that, to, that is probably going to go in Tony Dungy and, and Tomlins would be uh, Marvin Lewis. So let's not forget that he coached 15 seasons. That's pretty legit in, in the NFL. His record was 139, one, or 131, 129, and three. So he was around 500. But he took over a 2 and 14 team. Turned that organization And he went 8 around. and 8 in his first year and turned the organization around. No question. So I would put him up there. So, so now we're at three proven successful coaches. You could say Levy Smith. He t- took over a team that was 7 and 9. Uh, his inaugural season, he was 5-11. and 11. But let's go back to Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis, again, was another head coach that was saddled without a quarterback. He had Andy Dalton early, and they did well, and then Andy Dalton got old, and now Andy Dalton is horrible. Yeah, but you can't. And then you bring in Joe Burrows, who's a stud, and it turns around the program. Right. But you cannot win without a good quarterback. It's hard. It's hard to win without a good quarterback. But that is something that needs, you know, I mean, you can't, the the head coach can't look at the at the press after you know going three and fourteen and say I didn't have a good quarterback. The bottom line is you're held accountable for wins and losses, and if you don't get the W's, it's going to be your ass. Would you be shocked to learn? I looked this up when you brought up the topic that African American coaches are more successful than white coaches. Now, granted, you obviously have a larger yeah, well, you larger you, deal, but the. I mean, you have 20, you've had 20 in 22 years versus whatever. So, yeah, I, right. can, I, can, I mean, you're per capita comparing, it's not comparing apples to apples. So, I, I, I guess I could believe that. Um, Why are there more extent. black coaches in the collegiate ranks in the NFL? 
Well, that's a good question. I think that uh, obviously that's where they start. I'll tell you why. Why? You want to know why? Because universities realize you've got to go get talent. Good recruiting. And it's easier for an African-American to go into the ghetto and get a kid from Dorsey High School or from some of these black high schools than it is unless you're Nick Saban or, you know, a legend. Yeah, there's no question recruiting has in college. I mean, that that's that's where it all starts. Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line. And so those black recruiting coaches, is huge. and I think that that's you know that's where they're so they become a GA, then they go to a college and wherever and become a position coach. I think a lot of them just that's where, that's where they want to be. And I I think that if they had a dream to go to the NFL, I, I, I there's a lot of black position coaches in the league. There's just not a lot of black head coaches in the league, but yeah, exactly. And those guys, those coordinators, Eric B in Kansas city left, which in Tampa Bay never get the opportunities, but bums like Joe judge and Freddie kitchens and other guys that are just disasters continue to get jobs. And B is sitting there with a super bowl team and can't get, gets interviewed every year, but doesn't get a job. Right. Left, which and- is down there. He won a super bowl. That's his offense that Tom Brady's running. He doesn't get a job, but everybody's talking about Kellen Moore. He's down there in Dallas screwing up. Uh, that, but Kellen Moore's got, I bet when we talk uh, two, three weeks from now, Kellen Moore's got a job, and Eric Bieniemy and Leftwich don't. Well, I, I mean, it's it, it could be, but it's hard to hire coaches, NFL coaches that don't have head coaching experience. I mean, a lot of them that even that came over from college that were college head coaches, there's just a difference. So if you're if you're a college head coach or you've been a head coach previously in the NFL, your chances are going to increase. Or you come from a coaching tree uh, where you've proven successful as a coordinator. So all three of those names you mentioned are all all guys that are going to get their shot. There's no question about that. They're they're all going to be a head coach at one point. Who Bienemy and and Leftwich? They will. They'll be head. Uh, they'll we'll be see. head coach. They'll be head coaches, and and they may go down to college to do it. It's long overdue. Lot, I'll tell you and that. that. And that's why a lot of a lot of coaches that are in the NFL, that are position coaches, like you had mentioned, they go down and become head coaches in college. That's another reason why there's a lot more college uh, head coaches than NFL. So you, he, he all Leftwich could say, "I'm going to take the I'm going to take the uh, Mrs. the Memphis job." you know, a head coach because they want that head coaching experience. So they'll drop out of the NFL. They'll go to a school like UCF or Memphis or Fresno state or, or have you, and they'll become a head coach. And that's a great stepping stone. So you have to understand too, a lot of them choose to go that route. Well, there's a new trend that's beginning to pop up. I'm not sure how strong it's going to be, but it's going to be interesting to watch. And that's historically black colleges. And Deion Sanders started it by going to Jackson state and then Hugh Jackson, a former Raider coach, former Cleveland Brown coach, is now at Grambling. And if these guys can go get some of these top-notch 5A stars, black kids from these communities and come to these historically black colleges, you could see a whole new wave in, in, uh, in college football because Dion just got like, yeah, he landed the number a, one prospect. Yeah, he landed a five-star. But I, I, because you land one doesn't make it a trend. And I don't think, well, that's why I said. We'll wait and see. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a trend. Well, we'll I see. Don't, I think people are looking out for their future. And with with what we talked about last week, with the transfer portal and, and these guys now becoming free agents and have the opportunity to make a lot of money, they'd be giving that opportunity away by going to uh, an HBC. So I, I just don't think that uh, – I just don't think that's going to be a trend. I think that was a one-off. 
It, it, we could see one or two more down the road over time, but it, I don't think it's going to be a trend. These guys want to go to Texas. They want to go to Oklahoma. They want to go to Bama. They want to make money in college. So unless they come from a, a well, well-off to-do family, I don't see it happening. I, I, if you've got big names, who would want to go play for Dion? Me. What cornerback? As oh, a cornerback, uh, as a young African American cornerback, you wouldn't want to go play for Deion Sanders? No. No. Really? No, I'd want to go to Texas or Notre Dame or USC or yeah, Ohio State. You're a white guy. That's why. Yeah. Well, I, I want as a brother, I'd love to go to Jackson State and play for Deion. I'd love to go to Grambling and play for you, Jackson. No, nah, I, mean, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see people walking away from the opportunity to play at a big five school and make a lot of money in college, especially now that they're allowed to do that. I just don't see them giving that up. I don't know anything about this kid that uh, I know he was a five-star. I know he's legit, but I, I just I don't, I don't see that being a trend. I, I'd be shocked if we saw that. I but. think it's coming. I think it's coming. I think once these mm. kids, because I, I was the typical kid, I didn't want to go to an historically black college just because my dad went. And my dad took me down there my junior year. I got turned on to the life. I saw what was going on and fell in love with it. Yeah, but Maybe. you weren't a football player. I mean, if you were a football player, you wouldn't even... But that's what I'm saying. It's part of part of what they're selling is not only am I Deion Sanders and can teach you and get you to the NFL, but you can be part of an historically black college in that experience. And I think young black kids, of course, you don't see it, but I think young black kids, when exposed to that, We'll 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 try to uh, generate toward it. We'll see. Wow. We'll see. Only time will tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so if, if everybody wants to go play for Dion, then the the other schools, what's going to happen to them? Because well, I know what I'm saying is there going to be more and more African American athletes like Dion who can't get jobs in the NFL going to historically black college. Who Jackson just did it. You're going to see more and more of that, and they're going to attract more of these players. And then HBCUs are going to rise up. Got to start somewhere. Yeah, got to start somewhere. I, I mean, Dion's probably using this as a stepping stone. I, I can't imagine he's going to stay there. And I hope for the kid's sake that turned away all the other Power Five schools to go there. I hope Dion plans on staying there and seeing it through. I think he is seeing his commitment through. Which, if he does, great. But the bottom line is, is yeah, I do not see this as a trend at all. I think it's, I think he's trying to set the trend. I think this could be a kid that's like, hey, everybody's going to follow. It ain't going to happen. So why are they not hiring black coaches? With well, 70% of the league African-American. I, I mean, I don't have the answer to it. I, I can only go off what history tells us. And history tells us that there haven't been very many successful black head NFL coaches. That's all I can, that's all I can, I can go off history. That's all I can look at. I can say there's been three in the last 22 years that have, and two, one is questionable, two that have been successful. So I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know if they put black coaches in positions to fail by giving them I mean, that's kind of what I was going over. I mean, look at Dennis Green, right? I mean, he took over a team that had three losing seasons. He and had he turned Minnesota he had, around. Well, he had three consecutive losing seasons, and then he went 16-32 and 32 over his tenure. Levy Smith. And you he, know what happened? They got Randall Cunningham. He got a quarterback, and it turned that program around. You've got to have a quarterback, Chris. But, well, I'm just you saying he went 16-32 and 32 over his tenure, so he didn't turn it around that much. He, went, he won 16 games and lost 32. Levy Smith. He came a field goal away from going to the Super Bowl. Okay. Levy Smith, he, he took if over his, a team if that his, was... If his damn white field goal kicker had made it, he'd have gotten to the Super Bowl. Goddamn white. <laughs> Levy Smith took over a team that we was 7-9. and nine. Need black field goal kickers. And he was 7-9. and nine. His inaugural season was 5-11. and 11. Um, Second season, he turned it around, went 11-5, was coach of the year. Levy Smith, coach of the year. Black coach of the year. 
Nine seasons. And how long How long later after being coach of the year did he whack? He had three postseason appearances, and he lost the Super Bowl, and he made it nine seasons with an overall record of 84 and 66. That is, That's a good record in the NFL. 84 and 66? Yes. I'll take That's that. That's a good Successful. record in the NFL. So now and we he have— And he got the job at Arizona and never got another opportunity. Yep. So we have Lovey, Marvin, Dungy, and Mike Tomlin. So we're, we have four. So we have four out of 20 that, that we can say. I still think you got to stick Jim Caldwell in there because he was successful at Indy. Okay, so let's look and at Caldwell. And then he went to Detroit. So he, he went to Detroit yep. and kept their head above water. And then because of yeah. a lousy organization and lousy drafting, it went downhill. So let's look at he was the first Jim Caldwell was the first black coach to to replace another black coach. He replaced Dungey. So in his first season, he was fourteen and two. Now you got to you got to remember that's so they're talking about putting a team or a coach in, on a team to fail. You're usually taking over a team that's got a crappy record, right? Because that's why they're getting fired. But he took over Peyton. But he Manning. took over a team that had that was fourteen and two. Peyton and, Manning. and went to the Super Bowl his first season. After that, three seasons, twenty eight and twenty four. His after the fourteen and two season, he was fourteen and eighteen. And that's why he got fired. So it, it's not always I'm I'm put in a position to fail as a black coach. It's what have you done for me lately? And I just I just think that there's too much of a coincidence that tells us for some unknown reason that black coaches traditionally are not long-term successful NFL coaches. And I don't know the, I don't know the answer to it because they're not in a position to, as Bill Parcells uh, said, pick the groceries. If you're going to make the meal, you ought to be able to pick the groceries. And when he had a team, he established, I, I didn't screw it up. I was 14 and two, right. but I can't I, make the draft picks. And if the draft picks miss and you don't give me good groceries, I can't make a good meal. And that's a hundred percent right. I mean, if they if the, if they're going to hire, it doesn't matter who who you're going to hire. White, African, Hispanic doesn't matter. You've got to let them have input. And then if they fail, great. We did everything we could. I gave you every possible avenue to be successful. Don't just say, "Here's the team, but I'm going to handcuff you." Right. Absolutely, let them pick their groceries. They have to be able to have more say. And I and I think this is more black than it is white. They have to have more say on the team in making decisions and draft decisions. In personnel decisions, I think they do allow white coaches to have more power Absolutely. than they do the black coaches. And I think that would potentially benefit them in the long run 100%. The draft is right around the corner. Very much televised. I think it's in Vegas, as a matter of fact. It was supposed to be, and then we had the COVID situation. You look in those draft rooms. When they go and they say, oh, there's the draft, where's the war room? They ain't a black face in that damn room. <laughs> They ain't ain't a brother in that damn room. It don't matter what team it is. There ain't nobody that looks like me in that room. I'm just saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay attention to that and see and see if that's how accurate that is. Absolutely. Because if if that if that's the case, RB, if that's the case, that's unfortunate because it shouldn't be that way. Exactly. It shouldn't be that way. The it doesn't matter what you know race you are as a as a coach. You have to be able to have input into what goes into that franchise. And if I was ever an owner or a GM and I had a black head coach, I would make sure that dude was right next to me the whole way, step for step, making decisions to, 
you know what's what's better for the overall football team and Absolutely. i just and, and, and you know and yeah you're you're right about the fact i think you brought this up earlier the fact that a lot of these coaches are taking over for teams that were 3 and 14 3 and 12 yeah two. It's so hard to turn a program around in the NFL. Yeah, look I mean, look how teams. long it's been since so many teams have won Super Bowls or been in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, look at I the mean, jobs that are open now, the Giants. It's tough. I mean, Giants you know? is a team you could turn around. Let's let's be honest though, Jets. I mean, the Bengals got turned around because of Burrow. You made that point. But how many teams are in the NFL that are consistently horrible and just they're just not going to be good? Yeah, Miami, the Jets, Cleveland, uh, Indianapolis, Houston. I mean, I don't know. Denver, Denver will make make a Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, Carolina. I just there's teams that just you take over and it's kind of a no win. You yeah. know, if you take over like a Seattle or somebody like that, yeah, you, you Giants, a big franchise market, you have a better chance of of making them successful. But yeah, a lot of times you're just gonna it's, it's no win situation. No win situation. That's gonna do it for our podcast. Have you lost your mind? I'm Ralph Bailey. I'm Chris Sakini. We'll talk to you again soon.